0: Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 4:4. 4, 4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you would bless us today and bless us with your word, Lord, with not just the physical copy of your word that we have here that we know that you preserved and inspired and have given to us to read and to know you by, but Father, also by your word imparted to our hearts through the through your Holy Spirit and the anointing that you've given us. Help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to obey, help us to abound more and more in love and in the knowledge of our lord jesus christ bless all those that hear this message lord in jesus name and for christ's sake amen here he says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor there are three parts here um pretty clearly first that every one of you um, and then he go, speaks of should know how to possess his vessel. And thirdly, in sanctification and in honor. So you have individuality in the first part that every one of you, you have responsibility in the second part, should know how to possess his vessel. And in the third part there, you have sanctification and honor is a is looking towards glorification and is preparation for glorification. So individuality, responsibility, respons- responsibility and then ultimately looking forward to that glorification that shall come the sanctification and the honor every every um every one of you Every one of you. He didn't say the whole lot of you. He didn't say y'all. He didn't say that you all. The you is y'all. Yeah, that's why in, the, in your King James Bible that God uses the word you instead of the word thee is to say the equivalent of y'all, y'all, that he's saying all of you, but then he gives it the singular by every one of you. So he's talking to the church here, and in talking to the church, he says every one of you individually individuals within the church he brings out the individuality of the believers he says that every one of you should know now this in chapter 4 1 he says verse 1 he says furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more so in speaking to the church and asking them to abound more and more it's common for people to think well I'm doing alright on the level that I'm at this is something that God's asking of the church and I have unique circumstances. You know, Everybody else in the church needs to live up to a higher standard but um, I really do have unique circumstances. You see um, maybe I was abused as a child or maybe I was uh, maybe I didn't get the toy that I wanted for Christmas or maybe, maybe my parents um, weren't quite as loving to me and didn't build me up like they should have built me up or maybe I had a teacher who was mean to me, or or maybe I would have done great things, but because of some other circumstance in my life, I got passed over at work. I didn't get the promotion that I deserved. I didn't get the education I should have gotten because people stood in my way and hindered me. And I'm a victim of my society. I'm a victim of my family. I'm a victim here at church. I've been persecuted more than other people. I've given more than other people. I've suffered more than other people. God said to take the lower seat, and I took the lower seat, and now here I am am in the lower seat so since I'm here and that's where I've ended up and God didn't exalt me to honor right away the moment that I lowered and humbled myself um, and I wasn't looking for the kingdom of heaven I was looking to be exalted in this earth and therefore took that verse out of context and but yet I've humbled myself and I'm looking for God's exaltation and it hasn't come so I'm exempt from these commands and I don't really need to um abound more and more. I don't need the will of God in my life. I don't need to abstain from fornication. I don't need to possess my vessel in sanctification because of any plethora of excuses. God here removes the excuses whenever he says that every one of you, he didn't qualify it to the poor. He didn't qualify it to the rich. He didn't qualify it to the educated. He didn't qualify it to the polished. He didn't qualify it to the blue collar workers and leave the, the wealthy son of the rich man who gives um, a hefty tithe to the church exempt he says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor there's no class there's no group there's no race there's no color there's no culture that's exempt I've heard missionaries talk about their culture and they'll try and defend the sin of their people under the guise of culture now some of you think that's a shocking statement you say how would a missionary do that well you've probably heard it too, and maybe you just haven't recognized it, maybe you didn't know enough about the circumstances and enough about the people that were being talked about to see it happening, Um, but it's a very common thing actually. Um, For example, the um, Haitian believers, when I was down in Haiti, many excuses were given for the Haitian believers. I went to a Haitian church there, and the people dressed, um, in general, they tried to dress their best, but in Haiti there's a lot of immodesty. Immodesty is a going thing in a poverty-stricken country. There's a lot of nakedness by necessity, but, but that would be used as an excuse. You say, well, how can you say that about those poor people? They barely have a scrap to wear. Yeah, but when that person has a barely a scrap to wear and just happens to drop it a little lower and show their cleavage to the men that they want to show it to, it's still lasciviousness and it's still immodesty. Immodesty is still immodesty. God did not separate it based on class. He didn't separate it based on your hip size. So modesty is modesty, and it doesn't matter how big your derriere is. It's still immodest to show it off and to flash it around at everybody, and it's still your job to cover it up. Modesty is not given. God didn't give his commands here. God hasn't exempted you because um, your ethnic group has um, larger areas of the body than other ethnic groups you see culture has nothing to do with holiness and pretty soon we can start making excuses for culture and you can have a bunch of women up there and they're they get up in front of the church and they all start swaying and shaking their butts in front of everybody it's wrong I don't care what culture you're from you make excuses for that in your culture you say oh well this is our culture we move to music well there's some things that people have to learn not to do because it's not right and when you get up there and wiggle your body in front of everybody and shake your body and make everybody look at your tail then you're being immodest boy are we on a on a, on a run now here <laughs> You're going to make a bunch of people mad. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Did you know what Paul said about the Cretans? He said, the Cretans are, are slow bellies, evil beasts. He said one of their own people said that about them. And it's true. Did you hear what he said? He said the Cretans. He says they're evil beasts, slow bellies. One of their own people said so. And then Paul goes on and says, and it's true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. Listen, God didn't give you cultural excuse to sin. God did not give you cultural excuses to sin. Now down in Haiti, promiscuity is the going way of life. And whoredom is rampant. A woman will be often single because she's had a child out of wedlock and she has children and she's just basically run with whatever guy has come along or she's been abused or been taken advantage of. She's poverty stricken. She's trying to raise her children. And so a man will come along and offer her a chicken and for a chicken she'll be the man's wife and this is a horrible curse that's on a land stricken with poverty and sin and witchcraft and voodoo and it's a horrifying reality that they face but it doesn't make her act any less sinful when she takes that man into her home who is also running with all those other women and acts like he's her husband when he's not. It's still fornication, and it's still fornication no matter how poor you are. God did not put class limits. He did not put culture limits. He did not put necessity limits on sin. God is holy, and this thing is saying that every one of you, this text is saying that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. This is talking about how you ought to behave, that there is a way that you ought to behave that's according to sanctification and honor and there's a way that you're not to behave that's not according to sanctification and honor and again he says that every one of you now the missionary that is amongst those people is often the first to make excuse for those people for a couple of reasons the motivation behind this is uh, multifaceted number one uh, someone who goes and lives among those people and sees their great need is often going to be the first to want to excuse them because they have expended so much in an effort to better the lives of those people and bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that great expenditure for those people tends to nurture a human love in their heart for those people. And as that human love grows in their heart for those people, they will naturally begin to want to make excuse for them because love, as the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. But the Bible also teaches That if we love our brethren, that we'll tell them the truth. And the Bible tells us to judge righteous judgment and gives us God's holy standard. And and you have to remember, you have to bring your human love into subjection for God's love. How did God love? How did God love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ... (laughs) excuse me, Jesus Christ, when they brought the woman taken in adultery, he did not condemn her. He said, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved, or that the world through him might be saved, is what the Bible says of Christ. Jesus Christ came not to condemn the world. He said, but then it goes on in the same text and says, the world is condemned already. And Jesus told that woman, go and sin no more. So, We have here the text, 1 Thessalonians 4.4, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. This is God's will in sanctification and honor. This is God's will for the old lady. This is God's will for the young lady. This is God's will for the abused child. This is God's will for the spoiled child. This is God's will for the one that was passed over at work, and this is God's will for the one who got the promotion and didn't even deserve it and is now the ruler over many men. This is God's will for the daddy. This is God's will for the mommy. This is God's will for the little child. This is God's will for the teenager. Listen, there's no time frame in your life when you're exempt. You say, oh, it's just their teenage years. It's just a stage they've got to go through. Young love, we know this, this is what everybody does. No, it's not. And God says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Teenager, It is your job by God, according to his word, to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. You say... How can a teenager do that in these wicked days that we live in? It's too hard. It's you've got to give them some slack. You've got to cut them some slack. They're just young people and they're in love. You got to leave them alone. You got to give them a break. You know they'll grow out of it. They'll figure it out. No, God says, let it not once be named among you as becometh saints of, of fornication, specifically, which is the context here. Remember what we studied yesterday and the day before that in the in our Bible time. And for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus this is the will for this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication you say well that man's a widower that woman's a widow and they've got to find somebody and the way the world works today is dating and, and so they just go out and things happen when they go out and they don't really mean to but then they just kind of trip up and they fall into sin and, and you just got to give them a break God says that every one of You should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. He doesn't say if you're a widow, then you're exempt. He doesn't say if you're a widower, you're exempt. He doesn't say if you're lonely, you're exempt. He doesn't say if you have hormonal flashes, you're exempt. He doesn't say that if you've been reading pulp fiction romance your whole life until your entire insides are burning with an inordinate affection and desires that you can't contain, that you're somehow exempt from this. He doesn't say that if you sit at the house and watch soap operas and all kinds of trash on TV every day that you're somehow exempt from this. He doesn't say that if you watch Hallmark Channel and all of the garbage romance on there with the promiscuous relationships and the shack ups and the adulteries and the fornications that are insinuated and all the trash that's on TV that somehow that exempts you from his command. In fact it actually just makes you more guilty because he's made this command because he says here that every one of you should know. He says, this is something for every one of you. This is not a command to the preacher that exempts the layman. It's not a command to the deacon that exempts the preacher. It's not a command to the layman that exempts the deacon. This is a command of God that every one of you should know. Have, you, have we got this today? Who here in this room, raise your hand if you're one of the every ones well, that took longer than it should have. Get those brains working. Think. Process. Pay close attention here to God's word. You can put your hands down. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. If there are any verses in the Bible that you could try and exempt yourself from, this is not one of them. If you call yourself a Christian, God is saying that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. The only exemption in this verse is the exemption to the lost. And we're not probably going to get into that too much right now, but he says here, every one of you speaking to the brethren, speaking to the church. And of course we have first Corinthians five, where he says that you're not to company with fornicators. He says, but not altogether the fornicators of this world, then you must needs go out of this world. But if anyone, any man be called a brother, if any one be called a brother and be a fornicator etc 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 with such a one know not to eat so here we have chapter three thirteen. if we look back there the purpose of this whole exhortation to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God even our father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints God's wanting to work unblameableness God's wanting to work holiness in you in you as an individual in you and in you God wants you look up here God wants you and you pay close attention and you and you God wants you God wants every one of you here today and every one of you that listens to this online and every one of you that doesn't listen to this that calls yourself a Christian that he wants you to be unblameable and established in unblameableness and in holiness before God he also wants in verse 12 of chapter 3 you to increase and abound in love one toward another And toward all men even as we do toward you Now you cannot increase and abound in love If you do not possess your vessel If your vessel is running wild You say what is your vessel? Your vessel is your body And we'll get to that We'll show you that in the Bible Here in just a little bit If you cannot possess your vessel If you cannot possess your vessel And keep it pure and sanctified and honorable You are dead in the water in every other other aspect of your Christian life. You will not get past Calvary to any kind of usefulness if after Calvary you begin to allow your body to engage in activities that belong to the Gentiles and the lusts of concupiscence. And this is the context he's about to tell us in verse 5. And Look at our text. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He's saying there's a contrast and there ought to be a contrast between Christians. Christians ought to be pure. Christians ought to be holy. Christians ought to possess their vessel. In America, in the United States of America, divorce and remarriage is rampant. Divorces are higher in the church that calls itself by the name of Jesus Christ across this land than they are in the world. Brethren, these things ought not so to be. He says that every one of you should know how to possess vessel vessel in sanctification and honor but you don't understand that man's wife was cheating on him for years and he put up with her and he bore with her and finally she ran off on him and divorced him and here you are judging him you're so mean you don't think that he should remarry you don't think that he should break God's law even though God says that God hates putting away and that whosoever marries her that is divorced committeth adultery and you're going to preach your doctrine at these people you judge judgmental person and I say to you, First Thessalonians four four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Oh, her husband left her. And yeah, she hasn't had a husband for 8 years, and she's just trying to get by. She's been working so hard trying to pay her bills. She's had her her kids in the Christian school. She's doing everything that she can do. And here comes Mr. Wright, and it looks like he's the right guy. And you know, they shouldn't just get married. They've got to get to know each other. And in process of getting to know each other, oh, they they messed up a little bit. And here they're they're sleeping around here and sleeping around there and, and doing this and that and the other but but really Really, we should just give them a break and and hope and pray that sooner or later they'll get married and get it right. No, God says that every one of you should possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter how tough your life is. It doesn't matter how lonely you are. It doesn't matter how much urge you have. God says that every one of you should possess his vessel. I hope we're not beating a dead horse. If it's a dead horse, that's a whole other problem, isn't it? Because you're supposed to be alive in Christ. Now, every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. The contrast there is given to the lust of concupiscence and to the Gentiles which know not God. In in verse 5, or in verse which verse is that where he says increase more and more that no man go beyond. He says, and defraud his brother in any matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testified for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God who hath also given unto us his Holy spirit. He's saying, if you want to, if you want to stick your nose up at this commandment, you're despising God and not man as touching brotherly love ye need not that I write unto you for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another and indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia but we beseech you brethren that ye increase more and more you've got to increase more and more in the love of God and the reality is that your circumstances that come into your life that make it difficult to obey this command are the very circumstances that God is bringing in your life to orchestrate and engineer your increase and about abounding in that love more and more every day. God brings these hardships and these circumstances into your life so that he can work more and more love in you. But we use these circumstances instead as an excuse and such is a great sin. There are no shirkers, no excuses here that can be given to anybody under any circumstances. This is God's will. He says this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. You have no excuse ever under any circumstances in any culture in any place in any time abstain from fornication or you sin against God period end of story there is no excuse for anybody now let's move, um, let's focus a little bit more on this vessel here. He says that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Go to 2 Timothy 2.19. We're going to look at vessel in the Bible real quickly. Um, God being our helper this morning. 2 Timothy 2.19. We looked at these scriptures in our study yesterday, but we're going to look at them and focus in a little different focus today and that of the vessel. So here in 2 Timothy 2.19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And there you have again the individuality, the everyone. Do we need to go over that again? I, I know I already told you we'd move on. Everyone. He says, Let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That's the African in the African bush. That's the Haitian in the Haitian wilderness or in the Haitian city. That's the Mexican in Mexico. That's the American in Chicago. That's the Canadian in Ontario. That's the British person in London, England. That's the Scottish in, and the Irish in Dublin. That's the German in Frankfurt, Germany. It doesn't matter where you're at. It's the Chinese in in. Beijing, it's the Korean, it's the Japanese, it's every person in the whole world that names the name of Christ. If you claim the name of Christ, he says, depart from iniquity. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore or purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Here in Second Timothy, it tells us it shows us clearly that it is your responsibility, not God's to purge yourself. Did you hear me today? It is not God's fault if you sin. it is your fault. It is not God's fault. God says here in the word, you purge yourself from these. But the gift that I would, I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. I highly doubt Paul was talking about going down to the brothel when he said that. But in any case, it didn't end in Romans 7. It went on to Romans 8, where he says, If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. And he said there, If ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. God has commanded all that, name the name of Christ, to depart from iniquity. He's commanded us to possess our vessels in sanctification and honor. And he says here, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Look what he says in the next verse. Flee also youthful lusts. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So here he's got vessels here in a great house. So the great house being God's house, obviously, and then he's got the gold and the silver vessels and the wood and the earthen vessels. He has some vessels to honor and he has some vessels to dishonor. Let's go to Romans 9 and verse 21 and look at another place where God deals um, directly with us as vessels Now the also in Corinthians he says we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of men. Romans 9. So, And as you're turning there to verse 21, uh, the, in Corinthians, he calls us earthen vessels in the sense of our humanity. So we have the wooden and the earthen vessels and these speak of our humanity. The gold and the silver vessels speak of our glorification and our glorified bodies. You have God's people who have gone on to glory and are glorified and purified, and they've been um, had their their dross removed and their gold refined, and they're now a golden and a silver vessel. And you have the wooden and the earthen vessels, um, who are who speaks of their humanity here. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of man. And that earthen vessel speaks of you. Before we go any further in Romans, as um, it's to also illustrate this we have Jesus's first uh, miracle that he did in Cana of Galilee where there were six water pots of stone this this he said this meant this miracle he did to manifest forth his glory and he did it explicitly for his disciples and there were set six water pots of stone um, containing two or three firkins apiece after the manner of the Jews for I think it says for purification I didn't study that out there we can go there if you want to hold your place in Romans let's we'll just summarize Summarize it. And move on because we've got we've got to keep moving. But there in the in John chapter, which chapter is that? Is that chapter two? I think that's chapter 2, John chapter 2. There's the six water pots of stone representing, again, humanity. Six in the Bible, 666 is the number of a man, the Antichrist, and six is the day that man was created on. Six often um, as a number indicates humanity. And so here you have these six water pots of stone representing humanity, and they're full of water. And the water in the Bible is a picture of the word in Jesus. Christ was showing what his disciples, he was manifesting his glory to his disciples and he was showing them what he was going to do. It ties into the no man puts new wine into old wineskins else the bottles burst and the wine be spilled. All that ties together. Anyway, you can study that out. Maybe we'll preach on it someday. It's a wonderful study. There's a whole lot there, but there Jesus Christ took these water pots of stone filled with water after the manner of the Jews to what? Purify and were to be purified purified with the washing of the water of the word we looked at this in sanctification yesterday the word of God is what sanctifies and washes and pures. and there was that water of the word for the manner of purification and then Jesus Christ through a simple quiet act of his sovereign power and will turned the water into wine thou hast kept the new wine until now the infilling indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God of the believer who is filled with the word of God and submits himself to the will of God, and then becomes filled with the new wine of God's anointed, unctionized, empowered word of God to be sent to the governor of the feast, i.e. sent throughout all the world, disseminated to all the people at the feast, and the gospel going out into all the world. And that, in summary, is what that typifies and what that, what that is a picture of. Christ was not doing a Budweiser ad whenever he turned the water to wine. It was non-alcoholic wine, and you blasphemers that say it was alcoholic. Alcoholic, better just shut your mouths because you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for what you've been lying on Christ about your whole lives to saying that Christ was a wine bibber. You're with the Pharisees, you guys. You bunch of Christ drank wine. You're a bunch of Pharisees. That's all you are. Christ was called a wine-bibber by the Pharisees as well, but the Bible says wisdom is justified of our children, and God will justify himself um, at the judgment seat whenever he deals with those lies that are told on his son. Now... All of that picture of the water pots of stone, the, these, these earthen vessels being filled with the word of God and then the wine of God's word, uh, the wine of God's Holy Spirit being, taking the water in your vessel and turning it into the anointed outpouring of the Holy Ghost is God's way. And that's what this is saying to possess your vessel in sanctification and in honor. That sanctification of the water is what produces the honor of a life that brings forth abundant fruit the water of the word is absolutely necessary to this whole thing one man said how do you get filled with the Holy Ghost you get full of God's word and he's right but getting full of God's word in and of itself does not do it it takes a divine sovereign act of God and there are and there is a moment in time that God will do that work and he says to ask for it so there's all of that plays in as well Lord, help us today. We're just giving summaries. We're trying to study this subject and stay on task here. The vessel, Romans nine twenty one. Here we have the vessel put in a different light. The first time we looked at vessels in Second Timothy there was looking at vessels as regards man's responsibility. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, meet for the master's use. Now in Romans chapter 9 and verse 21, he says, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles? So here we see vessels used in the sense and the understanding of God's sovereign will and God's sovereign interaction with those vessels both of these things are true and both are in the Bible so here in Romans 21 we find that God Almighty is the potter just like the prophet said God is the potter thou O God art the potter we are the clay and here God is using this analogy through the Apostle Paul this is not the Apostle Paul speaking directly this is the this is God speaking or rather this is i not the Apostle Paul's thoughts that are being spoken, though it was his mouth that did speak it directly. This is God speaking through the Apostle Paul, inspiring, breathing the very words that are coming through his mouth. And here he says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Then this tells us very plainly Plainly, that there are vessels of mercy. It says in verse twenty-three, which he had afore prepared unto his glory, which touches with predestination. It touches in um, the election and foreknowledge of God, and the foreordination of the of the elect to God. And this deals with God's sovereignty, God's election, God's power, God's will. That God is that is not dependent on the will of man. That God's will that moves arbitrarily from the will of man. God's will that moves whether man chooses yes or chooses no. God is sovereign and God does what God will do. And God is in control of everything in this world. And God chooses when to step in and get involved. And God chooses when to step out and let man be involved. And God governs all of that by his own nature, by his own holiness, by his own righteousness, and by his own sovereign will. Here in this text it says in verse 13, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We're not going to get into this too much because we have to stick to vessels. We've got to stick on this concept of vessels and finish out our study today. But I want you to see here that he, he clearly says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And it says in verse 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Did you see what that just said? It literally verbatim said that the mercy of of God is not dependent on him that willeth. That's what your Bible says. Now you can go off and run on all of your rabbit trails that you want to run on and deny this word of God if you want to, but it is in the Bible. It says, it is not of him that willeth. Now I know that's going to ruffle some of your feathers, but it's Bible. Bible. It's what the Bible says. Now you can pull a Jehovah's Witness stunt here and say, well, that doesn't really mean this it means that and try and take it out of context and gloss it over and cover it up if you want to and you'll suffer the consequences of that if you do but I believe the Bible as much as lieth within me I try to I desire to believe the Bible preach the Bible exactly what it says even if it doesn't seem to add up or make sense by the way we've talked much of the deity of Christ how that Jesus Christ is the son of God and Jesus Christ is God how the Bible and Isaiah 9 6 says that Jesus Christ is a child that would be born in Bethlehem, and in the same verse, it says that Jesus Christ is the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And you cannot just pick and choose which one you want, and we've illustrated that and preached that over and over again, and we will keep on preaching that over and over again, that both are true, even though both seem to be completely irreconcilable. And here we find ourselves running into that same issue whenever we study vessels in the Bible, because here he says, if any man purge himself from these, he shall be meat for the master's use, and yet in Romans it says the potter hath power over the clay to make each vessel whether to make it a vessel of wrath or to make it a vessel of mercy afore prepared unto glory and you have both in the bible both taught explicitly both taught in verbatim in the bible that god is sovereign and makes what he will of who he will and god chose mercy on who he will and on whom he will he hardeneth it's in the bible and In the same Bible, you have explicitly that it is your responsibility to purge your vessel. And it is your responsibility to be meat for the master's use. It is your responsibility to prepare yourself for glory. They're both in the Bible. You say, how do you reconcile that preacher man? I don't reconcile it. I just preach it. I preach it when it says it over here, and I preach it when it says it over there, and I believe it because God said it, and it's a bigger subject than my brain, and I happen to know for a fact it's a bigger subject than your brain, because this is dealing with God who is big so here he's got God's sovereignty in the whole vessel discussion and man's responsibility in the whole vessel discussion and here we find no excuse here in Romans for those of you that would take excuse and be unwilling to take responsibility for your vessel and hide behind God's sovereignty God the sovereign potter who makes the lump of clay what he wants it to make has made the vessels of mercy meet for the master's use use by commanding the vessels of mercy to purge themselves. And so God's sovereignty is now directly linked to your responsibility. And if you would find yourself to be a recipient of God's sovereign will and mercy, you'd better purge yourself of these to become a a vessel meat for the master's use. You claim that you're one of his elect, you claim one of his chosen, then live it, prove it obey Him, take responsibility, follow your so-called sovereign Lord and Master. This applies to everything. We can't get off on this too much, but this applies to evangelism. You say, oh, well, God is sovereign. He saves who He'll save. He won't save who who He won't save, so we don't need to evangelize. But your sovereign God said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you to observe. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Listen, this is all through the Bible. This this issue is going to go all through the Bible. And he says here, every one of you. Did you know that he included you freewheelers and he included you Calvinists when he said every one of you. You're included. There's no excuse here for anybody, no matter what your doctrinal persuasion is, whether you're an amillennialist, an amillennialist, a premillennialist, uh, whatever, a millenist. I've heard of those guys too. You say, what's a millenist? Don't even waste your time. It's stupid. Just read your Bible and follow Christ. Anyway, whatever you are, whatever your doctrinal persuasion is, whatever your background is, whatever your denomination is, whatever your understanding, Understanding of the scriptures is God says every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, and he lays the responsibility in his sovereign authority on your shoulders. God Almighty, the sovereign creator of the universe, who speaks and no man shall let it, no man shall stand and stop and put his hand in the face of God and stop God from doing what God will do because God is sovereign. And that sovereign, holy, almighty God has commanded every one of you to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. No excuses. No excuses. Now, what is sanctification? We looked at sanctification um, in more detail in the last lesson. I encourage you to go back to that. We will. We'll just get a quick look at it here as a smaller part of the greater. Um, lesson today. But sanctification, in short, we determine from our study of the Word of God is an engagement. It's an espousal. Separation unto God. Sanctification is a setting apart to God. And we saw that explicitly um, there in Ephesians 5.27. We'll look at that real quick before we move on today to honor. We need to get there quickly so that we can... Get this done in a timely manner. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. He says here um, and in the context, he's telling the husbands to love their wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So here there is a washing of the water of the word, which we referred to earlier with the um, water pots of stone, the six water pots of stone if you remember and how that Jesus turned that water into wine. You see Jesus has given you the word. It's right here and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and some evangelists and some teachers. Mix that up some. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come um, and I forget exactly how it goes but basically to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ which we've not come to yet. So God has given you pastors. He's given you evangelists etc he's given you the 12 apostles of the lamb whose words you hold in your hand if you have an authorized version bible that is the very inspired and perfect preserved word of god in english for us today you are holding the word of the 12 apostles that he gave you some people say you don't have apostles hold up your bible and tell them i've got 12 apostles of the lamb Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! And i and guess what? I've still got them today. And the ministry of the apostles is still in effect today and has not ceased and will not cease until the church is complete and perfect in the measure of the fullness of Christ. Praise the Lord! And the, we're not going to get off on that any more than we're on it. But here you have the Word of God, and Jesus Christ is washing you in the Word. He's given you this. Now you don't have to stand for the washing. You can leave church. You can run out. You can say i'm not gonna sit for that. I don't see it that way I just I don't like the way he says that I don't like that guy. I don't like the way he growls I don't like the way he barks. I don't like the way he shouts. I don't like the way he runs I don't like the way he talks in a monotone. He's too quiet. He stands still he wiggles too much He's too coarse. He's too soft. He doesn't say it plain enough. He talks too straight. He's always talking about my sin. He doesn't tell the other guy about his sin. You can have whatever excuse you want to have, but God is washing you with the water of his word unless you run out of it if you run out of it, you maintain you evidence your lack of fidelity to Christ. If you won't stay under Christ's preachers who Christ puts over you, you're unfaithful to Christ is what that boils down to. Now, if you're unfaithful to Christ that's a whole other matter. But if you're faithful to Christ, he's given you his word. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's given you by the word of God. He's made it accessible to you. He sent ministers to you of the gospel of jesus christ who preached to you he's washing you with the word god is already doing his part god wants you to do your part you say that sounds like free willism well you go and just read your bible and forget about free willism and just read what the Bible says that sounds like Calvinism just forget about Calvinism just read your Bible just get back to the Bible we get back to the Bible God's washing us in the word of God and here he's telling us that every one of us should know how to possess our vessels in sanctification this is what he's talking about he's talking about being separate Um, there in 2nd Corinthians 6 he says be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion hath light with darkness and what concordeth Christ with Belial or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols for ye are the temple of the living God as God hath said I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you again here is a commandment from the sovereign creator of the universe that says come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you you are commanded by God to come out and be separate this is sanctification to be separated unto God is sanctification to be separated from sin is abstinence abstinence abstain from fornication the verse said in 1 Thessalonians 4 I think it was 3 (coughs) the verse before the verse we're studying whichever one it is He says abstain from fornication. Abstain from it. That's separation from sin. Sanctification is separation unto God. He says that every one of you should know how to act like an engaged woman who is faithful to her soon-to-be spouse. That's what he's saying by this. That every one of you should know how to act like a chaste, holy virgin who is waiting on her bridegroom to come. That's what God's saying. That's saying. This is how you should act. This is how you should behave. You should be separated. You should be holy. You should possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. Now let's jump down to the honor that God speaks of here. There are three times that God honored His Son audibly and publicly. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, Jesus Christ, at His baptism, came up out of the water, and God the Father spoke from heaven as the Holy Ghost of God descended upon Christ in the form of a dove in the bodily shape, the Bible says, The bodily shape of a dove. The Holy Ghost was literally in the bodily shape of a dove. That is almost beyond even understanding. We have the incarnation of Christ. That's beyond comprehension. Christ was born of a virgin. But then we have the bodily shape of a dove being that by which the Holy Ghost manifested itself. Uh, Moving on from there, Mark chapter 1 and verse 11, he says here... um, And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Turn a few pages to Mark chapter 9 and verse 7. We're talking about honor here as we wrap this message up today. Mark chapter 9 and verse 7 and there was a cloud that overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my beloved son hear him so at his baptism God said this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased at his transfiguration God the father honored Christ by saying this is my beloved son hear him and then his glorification is seen in John 12 go over there John 12 and 28 the third time God spoke audibly from heaven God the Father, glorifying and honoring His Son on earth, audibly from heaven. Here Jesus is preaching, and in John twelve twenty eight, He says, "Father, glorify Thy name." Then came there a voice from heaven, saying, "I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again." And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to Him. Jesus answered and said, "This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is." The judgment of this world, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. <coughs> So here this voice came, this glorifying voice, the glorification of God was the purpose of this third voice, his baptism showing his purity and that God was pleased with him was the purpose of the first, um, showing the um, purpose of the first voice from heaven and his transfiguration telling men to listen to him was the purpose of the second. So God honored the son here three, three times audibly, once to show that Christ was pure, second to show men that they needed to hear Christ, and thirdly, to show men that God was glorified in His Son, Jesus Christ. All of this had to do with the honor that God bestowed on His Christ, uh, on His Son Jesus Christ, and all of it redounded to the glory of God. So, whenever it's saying here to, that we are to know every one of us, no excuses, should know how to possess His vessel and the sanctification and honor. Whenever it's speaking about honor here, it's not talking about bashido which is the Japanese religion of dying for your country and honor on the battlefield that supposedly gets you to heaven and is similar to the Muslim jihad except um, a few differences. But in any case, (coughs) I'm not an expert on all all that. I don't study the religions of the world. I study the Bible. The other stuff comes to me as I talk to people and deal with people and just live life in this world. You come across stuff and learn stuff. But in any case... um, This honor that it's talking about is not talking about earthly honor. Go to John 5. John chapter 5 and verse 41. Here, Jesus Christ is going to set a a clean distinction between the honor that comes from men and the honor that comes from God. Go to verse 41 of chapter 5. He says, I receive not honor from men. But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I came in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? There is an honor that comes from God only, and that honor that comes from God is accessible to those that will purge themselves from these, making themselves a vessel, me for the master's use. This all ties into that vessel, the possession of the vessel. This is how to get honor. Do you want honor? This is how to get it. Now, if you want honor from God, it comes from God only, and man does not even recognize the honor that comes from God only. But trans, uh, transversely, the honor that comes from man, God doesn't recognize. So you can take your doctorate of whatever it is, divinity or anything else that you've got a doctorate in, and you try and perse- that to God and it's not even worth sneezing at as far as God's concerned God is not impressed with your doctorate of anything by the way I just have to throw this in here the doctorate of divinity comes from catholic tradition in the schools of Europe all the way back in the dark ages the catholic church was conferring doctors doctorates of divinity I don't understand for a second why bible believing Christians stick DD after their name It's not in your Bible the Catholics do some things that are in the Bible every now and then they you know they breathe so you can breathe too They go to sleep. You can go to sleep too. It's in the Bible. Just because a Catholic does it doesn't mean it's wicked. But stuff the Catholics do that's not in the Bible, you should take real serious stock of and get away from it because it's most likely either the doctrine of Jezebel or the doctrine of Balaam or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And I fear that the doctrine of divinity is more of the latter, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's that honor that comes from men and does not come from God only. How do you get honor from God? You get honor from God in a way that only comes from God. Let's look at it again. We'll get back to 2 Timothy here in a second. Let's run a couple verses. John 9, you get honor from God for walking with God. John 9, 49. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of heaven that comes from what job you had on earth. You see, this is one of the reasons that people get so offended whenever, whenever Christians maintain the biblical reality that women cannot be pastors. It's impossible. By the way, men cannot be mothers. It's impossible. Listen, what you are in your title on earth doesn't hold a candle with God in heaven. If you're a mother, you're a mother because God gave you that job. If you're a father, you're a father because God gave you that job. If you're a pastor, God gave you as a gift to the church. You are nothing but a present. You are the gift. Who is held in more esteem usually? The gift or the one the gift is given to? The one that the gift is given to. Did you know that God loves his church more than his pastor? And the only reason the pastor is loved of God is because he's a part of his church. Some of you think I'm going into total heresy here. But it's the raw reality. The missionary, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the preacher on the street corner, none of them have any extra credit with God for what they're doing. They're doing it because God's merciful to other people and long-suffering and has given gifts unto men. <clears throat> Honor doesn't come from those things. <clears throat> if you understand that, then you can say, hey, if you're a lady, I'm a lady that doesn't have to be a pastor. God's not going to call me to be a pastor. I don't have to bear that burden. Woo-hoo! Praise the Lord! And guess what? Did you know that Jesus said, they that are least in the, king- in the kingdom of heaven will be the greatest? honestly whenever we get to heaven I think a lot of times it's going to be those old widows that serve God night and day with fastings and prayers that have the chiefest seats in the upper rooms in heaven and you're going to find a lot of pastors take the lower seats a lot of flashy evangelists are going to be in the lower seats in heaven and those old widow women that sent their two mites to keep the evangelist on the road are going to have the upper seats and that's just Bible, whether you like it or not. listen, God doesn't go in for our human honor stuff. Now, I know we gotta balance this. The Bible says to give honor to whom honor is due. we gotta balance this. You are to honor your pastor as the one that God has put over you in the church as your overseer. And you are to do honor to him by not only listening to him, but taking care of him and by also making sure his physical needs are met even. So you're supposed to give honor. And I'm not saying that that's a null and void thing, but I am saying there is an honor that comes from God only. And that honor that comes from God only is accessible only to those who walk closely with God. The greatest honor that can be conferred, I believe, in the Bible of a human being is that honor which was conferred on Abraham when God said, and Abraham was called the friend of God. And didn't Jesus say that to us? I call you no longer servants. All of those gifts, um, evangelist, pastor, etc., those are servant gifts. That service, Christ said, I call you no longer servants, but friends, if you do whatsoever, I command you. Do you realize God wants to promote you above Charles Spurgeon? God wants to promote you above D.L. Moody. God wants to promote you to great honor in heaven. And that honor he wants to promote you to is friend of God who kept my commandments. Praise God. I know this isn't popular, but it's right. It's Bible. We all want the corporate ladder to be applied to Christianity so we can climb it and attain some kind of human honor as Christians. And by doing that, we often exclude ourselves from the honor that comes from God only. Bible says in John 12, 43, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They wouldn't turn down the praise of men, and they wouldn't risk losing it to come out for Christ. But here in our text, in First Thessalonians 4, he says again that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. This is the will of God. This is the will of God for you, and this is the means of gaining honor with God. God wants you to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. He wants you to live like a bride who's expecting the bridegroom. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'd help this message to bless people, even though, Lord, this earthen vessel, Lord, is so foolish, and, Lord God, so often cracked and full of cracks, Lord God. I just pray, Lord, that your word, Lord, would go forth and accomplish that for which it is given and that you would be glorified and honored in the preaching of your word, that you would use this for your glory. Glorify thyself, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.